Hello everyone and welcome to One Degree Higher, the podcast about PhD life and career advice. I am Julien Dufouré and today I'm pleased to welcome Michela Chiaparlone, Associate Professor of Bioengineering at the University of Genova. Hello Michela. Hello Julien, hello everybody. It's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you very much for being here and uh, accepting to take this interview. And uh, my first question for you is uh, what led you to do a PhD in the first place? Well, I have to say that um, I've been fascinated by research since I was uh, a young girl. So I already knew when I was uh, six years old that I wanted to become a scientist. So it's something that was already in my mind since the beginning. Okay. And um, then during the high school, I realized that it was uh, important to do something to, to, to solve uh, uh, problems related to the disease in humans. But I really didn't feel myself comfortable in doing in performing let's say some medical school okay. also because i was interested in mathematics and physics so i found the book the good marriage in this uh, let's say um, interest and also motivation in performing an engineering uh, study and i found my my solution when i when i discovered about the existence of the biomedical engineering field And that's why I choose this, uh, this study. And after this, um, and during actually the, the university, I met uh, a fantastic mentor, Professor Grattarola, who unfortunately passed away very young. But he was uh, a, a very good teacher, a very good uh, mentor that inspired myself and, uh, and gave me the opportunity to start a PhD in the field of uh, biomedical engineering. Okay. And... Uh To go a bit further about your research topics, mm -hmm. so a popular competition in France is called uh, My Thesis in 180 Seconds, where PhD students have to describe their uh, research work in a limited amount of time. Uh, would you like to try to take on the challenge? I will try to. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so um, the motivation behind my research is... Uh, the possibility to find neuroengineering-based solution for uh, improving the quality of life of people affected by disease. And in order to do this, I exploit my engineering background with the neuroscience-based question and uh, uh, problems. So uh, my idea is to exploit neuroengineering tools in terms of signal processing, analysis, and device development in order to provide new solutions and solve uh, neurological disorders. So this means uh, working in fields like neuroprosthetics, uh, neurorobotics, and um, following so-called translational methodology in which I do perform myself the experiment. And this is one of the main, um, the main lessons that I learned from my mentor, Professor Gattarola. So also I, As an engineer, I have to, to use my hands in order to do experiments and the testing devices and solutions on simple system and then moving up towards uh, possible human applications. Perfect. I don't know if I was into the three minutes, but I tried to. Ah, you, you were <laughs> great. And I think you just like about two minutes, if I'm correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Great. So you started your education in engineering computer science because you weren't comfortable with medical studies, if I recall correctly. So what was happening in a subject like bioengineering? Like why did you 
why do you want to find subjects related to helping patients? Uh, I mean, as I was telling, this was my motivation since I was young. And I thought um, engineering can help me in uh, better design, you know, experiments, uh, scientific questions and solutions. So my PhD is... Um, is in computer science and electronic engineering, but the main topic that I was uh, uh, that I was um, following during the PhD studies was exactly in uh, uh, in the biomedical in, in the biomedical field at large. So the main topic I was uh, I was uh, uh, facing during the PhD was on neural interfaces. Uh, I also studied a lot uh, on um, the interpretation and the analysis of uh, electrophysiological signals, so coming from uh, the so-called electrogenic cells, so cells that are able to exhibit uh, uh, an electrical signal, like uh, cardiac cells or neuronal cells. And uh, so I started with uh, developing some algorithm to analyze this type of data and then how to exploit these uh, signals and analysis for the building of possible interface. So where um, a neuronal system can interact and can dialogue with an artificial one. So this was, uh, let's say, the topic of, uh, of the PhD. And from this topic, I capitalized for the, the, the next step of my career. Okay, that's, that's really interesting to me specifically because uh, actually I also started working in engineering and microelectronics and, uh, and I wanted to work in aspect about helping people and that's why I also work in um, artificial intelligence as I, I'm sure there's a, a lot of prospects for helping people and while using uh, on-ship uh, artificial intelligence and so it's uh, really nice to see there's a kind of, uh, <laughs> I'm not alone in this uh, thought process. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are not, indeed. <laughs> um, so let's, let's work a bit, uh, let's talk a bit about um, uh, relation with patients. And um, so more and more work is being done for helping patients in research. And it can require a lot of time to get any usable results. So how do you associate your research with the industry and the uh, patients? And how do you think the academia goes about cooperation with the industry in those fields? Okay. So this is a very important point because um, in, uh, I mean, in many cases, uh, what happens is that people are developing fantastic technologies, uh, but with low usability for the, for the patients. So um, it is important that this technology, goes, uh, this technology go out of the lab and uh, are, let's say, tested on patients before entering the market and being... Uh, mm -hmm. Used by 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 the, by the actual patient, by hospitals and clinicians. So in this sense, I was uh, I was lucky because uh, I've been working for uh, 14 years in a research institute, which is the Italian Institute of Technology. Uh, that was uh, quite a young institution. That was born in 2005 uh, in Genova, Italy, where uh, where I am now. And the mission of the Institute was indeed to take out of the lab the technologies that have been developed. I mostly 
I've been working, I started to do, let's say, basic research, but uh, mostly in the neuroengineering, neuroscience field. But in the last year, when I was at IIT, I moved in a new department, which is Rehab Technologies. And the mission there is exactly to um, develop robotics technologies for, for, the, for the use of patients. So it means that there is a, a, in a, there is a, a let's say a co-design uh, process in which uh, all the technologies that have been developed are done in collaboration with clinicians and patients and in general with the end users. So we are not just making up something in our lab without talking to anybody and then we say, okay, this is useful for patients. All the technologies that have been developed have been done in collaboration with people. And even before starting the design of the technology, there are, let's say, some focus group with patients to understand whether this technology could be useful for them. So I think this is the right process to, to follow. So be, having the user involved in the process, and uh, this process can be defined as a user-centered design. So you do something not because it's nice, not because it's fancy or cool, but because it is useful. And this is what I learned from, uh, from, uh, from my, my years in this, uh, in this department to which I am still affiliated. And I'm trying to, now that I am at the university, I'm doing, let's say, a bit more basic research because I am uh, working on, uh, uh, let's say, low TRL uh, ideas and solutions but still with the possibility to have some proof of principle testing even in humans. So every time that I design a new, a new solution, I try to find a way to have a testing in humans. And in, fa in fact, I have also collaboration with clinicians. I always speak with clinicians to understand whether a specific technology can be, can be of interest for people and uh, can be useful for them. Of course, I'm not saying that basic research, let's say blue sky research, is not useful. It depends on what are your objectives, what are your scientific questions, what is your, your mission, let's say, in research. But still, if you want to do something useful, it is important to take into account what the end user think about. And uh, in order to do this, I uh, would like to remember what uh, is uh, the the motto of patient uh, of patients, which is uh, nothing about us without us. So you always have to consider them as part of the process. Uh, and this is, I think, is the good uh, is the good way to have a product uh, that can be really useful and can be a marketable one. Thank you very much. It's a great insight about uh, how to develop your technologies. What do you think about uh, uh, academia in general? Because you specifically, you work a lot about uh, uh, clinical thought. Mm -hmm. uh, do you think in the academia in general, this process is followed enough or should it be reinforced? Uh, yeah, that is a very good point. I think that... Uh, in general, um, I mean, this also depends on the type of research you want to do. If you yeah, do course. just basic research, you can, let's say, be more uh, uh, 
uh, as I was telling before, blue sky. But if you want to do applied research, so something that can be useful, of course, it is important to involve the end user in the process. Uh, maybe can be, in our case, uh, the, the biomedical field can be an industry, can be a patient, can be a clinician, can be something that uh, has knowledge about the problems uh, uh, and the, the features of the disease uh, in order to design uh, uh, the, the, the solution uh, uh, around uh, what, what are the real needs. So uh, maybe things are changing right now because uh, even in the academia, um, the work, let's say, the, the technology transfer is promoted a lot. There are a lot of opportunities in terms of uh, uh, funding, for instance, of new uh, industrial realities. Um, funding also young people to apply for uh, this funding to to have their their idea transformed into, for instance, a startup and, and so on. So I think something is changing. Uh, maybe it take uh, it takes it will take a bit of more time because we are just at the beginning of the process. Yeah, okay. And um, in this sense, also Europe is doing a lot because. Um, with the European Innovation Council, they are promoting research that is much closer to the application. So projects that are that have, let's say, a quite high TRL uh, that can reach the market in a few years. Okay, thank you very much. And um, let's talk a bit now about your relationship with uh, IEEE. Mm -hmm. As you recently uh, became a distinguished lecturer for IEEE EMB, how did you start being invested in the, with the IEEE Association? So um, I have been a, a member of, of IEEE for many years now. I think uh, more or less from 12 to 15. I don't I don't remember exactly, uh, but. I um, I was uh, I started to be more involved when I was invited to join the Neural Engineering Technical Committee uh, during the um, the flagship conference of EMB, which is the EMBC Engineering Medical and Biological Conference that is held every year. So I participated uh, to the conference in the form of associate editor. Uh, most of my students were uh, preparing uh, papers uh, to be presented in the conference. I was able to participate to the technical committee meeting during the conference. Of course, unfortunately, this was not possible during the COVID uh, lockdown. Uh, but still, um, since many years, uh, I am, um, let's say, associate editor for the conference. And in particular, last year, I was um, uh, program co-chair of the Neural Engineering Conference, which okay. is, uh, a, let's say, the focus conference dedicated to neural engineering, which is held every two years. Uh, last year was supposed to be done in presence in Italy, but it was not possible, so we had... Uh, a virtual event, uh, which uh, in any case was uh, fantastic in terms of uh, participation, in terms of speakers and so on. So I'm very happy and proud of this uh, achievement. Um, 
and I, I was very happy also to be involved in this in this organization because I could really touch with my hands uh, what does it mean to organize uh, such a big conference. Yeah. It's quite uh, demanding, uh, but in the end it was uh, it was very good uh, from uh, the professional career for uh, meeting so many people and uh, and networking opportunities, of course. And so, I mean, I started to be uh, more and more involved uh, also from uh, the point of view of um, other activities. Uh, for instance, I am part also of the women in, in, women in engineering uh, section. And uh, with a friend of mine, we won uh, a small grant to uh, organize uh, a, what is called International Leadership Summit that we successfully organized in December last year. It was uh, ILS, thank you. Uh, it was the International Leadership Summit of Women uh, in Engineering that we held for the first time in Italy last year in presence, partly in presence, partly uh, virtual, let's say. Uh, it was uh, quite a great success. We were very happy and we have the opportunity to talk about uh, many things that involved not necessarily only women, but uh, let's say men and women uh, facing uh, a research career uh, in, uh, in science, like uh, uh, also not only related to, to research topics, but also related to how become a good mentors, for instance, uh, how to deal with parenting uh, uh, when you are a science, uh, and how to deal with possible mental health problems arising in people that are uh, working in this field that uh, unfortunately it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a rising problem so we found uh, some help from people that uh, uh, were able to participate uh, that provided some tips in order to avoid these type of problems so uh, yeah i am uh, involved in this uh, type of activities and i hope i will be do the same in the next years yeah so quite a large uh, range of yeah. Topics, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, okay, so one last question. Mm -hmm. And so you've been in the research field for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. And uh, what is your advice for a successful PhD for uh, a student that wants to start a PhD or for a PhD student that's recently started? Okay, so, uh, yeah, um, I'm not so, I'm not as young <laughs> As, uh, as you, of course, so I have some, some experience, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know how <laughs> to consider this. But uh, uh, yeah, given the experience that I have and the number of PhD students that I have uh, in, the, in the past and currently have, I can tell you that, uh, um, I mean, there is not a specific recipe. Uh, for me, at least, the most important thing is the motivation. So people... Um, keep, people can learn, uh, you know, math, can learn programming, can learn biology, uh, but cannot learn motivation. So motivation should be there. If you are not motivated, uh, it's better, let's say, to quit or not even think about a PhD because, of course, it's something that uh, takes uh, a lot of your time and uh, it is quite demanding in terms of a uh, number of activities to be performed. But at the same time, um, I also think that it's important from the point of view of the mentor to find, uh, to find the, 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 
the interest of the person. So try to maximize the outcome by focusing on what are uh, the main expertise of the person and the main interest. So there could be people that are very good in programming, but they do not uh, like too much perform, let's say, experiments. There could be people that uh, they do love to do experiments, but they do not like to do programming. So even if you have specific ideas at the beginning, you can, let's say, you have to be flexible enough in order to maximize the outcome of the student in order to, to meet uh, his uh, capabilities, expectations, uh, because, of course, these uh, uh, also help uh, in, uh, let's say, achieving the objectives first and, uh, and second, motivating him or her uh, better. So if they say that they are successful, they are much more uh, uh, happy and, uh, and they will do their work uh, with more enthusiasm. Yeah. I mean, it's actually linked to motivation because uh, you, have to have, you have to have some motivation but there's also a bit of work to bring it forward. Yes, this this is the most important. I mean, if okay. you are not uh, if you are not motivated, I mean, if you if you do it because you don't you, you choose it, let's say you don't have good uh, working opportunities and say, okay, I don't know what to do. Well, let's do it uh, a PhD. Okay, this is not a good motivation, of course. But <laughs> I can tell you that I met people like this, not working with me, but uh, when I was a PhD student, I remember. Uh, someone that was telling, okay, so I don't know what to do, but maybe I will do a PhD. Okay, uh, this is not what yeah. I think, uh, but <laughs> maybe not many people are, are uh, reasoning uh, like that, uh, hopefully. Um, I was lucky because I always met people that were extremely motivated. Uh, so this is, this is the most important thing for me. But at the same time, since the work can be quite a lot. You also have, uh, let's say, to give a word to the student. Uh, I am very flexible in terms of time of working, where to work. Uh, there are people that maybe prefer to work from home. Uh, what is important is reaching the objectives and, uh, and see that the people are achieving those objectives. Maybe one can take more time with respect to the others, but the most important thing is that uh, they like what to do. And um, and then, of course, uh, another another important thing for me is uh, the training. Uh, maybe not necessarily in the same lab in which they are growing. So exposing them to other realities, uh, sending them abroad for a while, um, gaining new skills and meeting new people and uh, have a lot of expertise in terms of uh, being exposed to new environments and to new okay. people, to new labs. And uh, so traveling, networking, and all these, uh, these uh, aspects are very important for the training of the students and for their success during the PhD and also beyond it. Thank so, you very much for this you. interview. And uh, so this was One Degree Higher. Thank you for all our listeners and see you soon. Thank Goodbye. you so much. Bye-bye.